friends. Thank you for listening in again today. I cover a lot of topics in my sessions on MKs and TCKs, and you can check the episode notes for definitions of those two acronyms. But when I talk about relationships, there seems to be an increased amount of interest and investment in my listeners. Maybe that's because it's one of the areas of greatest frustration for a lot of MKs, myself included, for most of my life. Some of the complaints I hear have to do with having trouble making friends with people who are not TCKs. Others have to do with some huge misunderstandings, some of which I think actually might have been avoided with a little more awareness about relational styles. I was speaking to a group of maybe 200 adult missionaries' kids a couple years ago on this topic, and I asked if there was anybody in the room who wanted to share a relationship fail story with the rest of us, and a bunch of guys in the back row started pointing at one of their friends, who then told us the story of his junior year of college, when he thought he was going about relationships and friendships normally, and he discovered at the end of that year that there were two girls in two different dorms on campus who fully expected him to propose to them at some point before the end of senior year. He had no idea what he had done wrong. He somehow had managed to send a hugely wrong message to not one but two girls on campus, and he had no earthly idea of how he'd gotten there. So, this article is for those young TCKs trying to make new connections in new places, and it's for us slightly grayer and more wrinkled MKs still wondering if we're doing something wrong. There's a good chance we're actually not doing things wrong, we're just doing them differently. And if I've learned anything in life, it's that a little information can reframe our thinking and begin to change our behavior and yield some really positive results. That's my hope with this episode. I need to say this again as we begin today, there is no way of avoiding generalizations when talking about entire people groups. So I'll preface this episode with a usual disclaimer. What I'm addressing here seems to be true for a majority of MKs, and there will likely be exceptions. This is MKs and Relationships, The Time-Depth Dilemma. I think we MKs and TCKs know that we don't function like others in the area of relationships, yet we can't really put our finger on what it is that makes us different. Our methods for developing relationships are probably most acutely challenged during our initial re-entry into our passport culture, a world that's supposed to be familiar and comfortable to us, but is often confusing on a human-to-human level. If we've spent our entire lives around other TCKs, we assume that everyone functions the way we do, or should. But spoiler alert, they often don't. It might be useful at this point to explore why we do things differently, and then how we can adapt in order to find true connection with our monocultural peers. And by the way, I'm not using monocultural in a denigrating sense here, just as a means of differentiating between TCKs and non-TCKs. Let me tell you about the time-depth dilemma. You can see the graphic in the notes for an illustration of this concept. MKs and TCKs generally require depth to authenticate relationships. We know that our relationship is real and meaningful when it has reached a certain degree of vulnerability. Monoculturals seem more likely to judge friendships by longevity. They use time to authenticate them. That's the dilemma. We measure by depth, others measure by time. 
And that basic difference, as you can imagine, can cause some serious misunderstandings. To the monocultural person who craves time to slowly move from relational level to relational level, the MK appears far too intense. To the TCK who values speedy self-revelation, the monocultural's emphasis on a much more gradual entry into meaningful relationship, it feels shallow and pointless. The danger is when we, not understanding this difference, mistakenly come to the conclusion that an entire people group is relationally flimsy, and we write them off with an off-the-cuff generalization. In doing so, not only do we run the risk of coming across as a tad arrogant, but we also eliminate the possibility of genuine, needed friendships with the people around us. Why do so many TCKs do things so differently? I think there are several reasons, but the greatest of them is the awareness that time is limited. We've lived so long in a world saturated with both expected and unexpected goodbyes that we enter each relationship anticipating that it could end at the drop of a hat. When circumstances, mission mandates, finances, or the inherent transitory nature of the international community rip us away from those we've loved. I was in Nepal a few years ago teaching third graders about how to say hello well and how to say goodbye well. And on the topic of hellos, a little boy raised his hand and told me how he usually does it. His name was Ryan, and he said, I say, hi, my name is Ryan, and I'm going to be gone soon. That's the way he enters relationships, because he knows the goodbyes are inevitable. I'll post in the notes a link to a spoken word poem written by an MK called Caleb about the story of Ryan that is breathtaking in its beauty and depth. In general, MKs will fall into two groups because of this expectation of loss. Some of us will hold people at arm's length, mostly because we're so exhausted by all the goodbying that we just don't want to do it anymore. Others, those of us who still have some relational stamina left, will do things entirely differently. Like Ryan, when we meet someone new, it's as if an invisible timer has started a countdown. Quick, figure out who this person really is. Don't waste any time. Tell her about your greatest joys and sorrows and see if she knows what to do with them. Ask him about his faith and emotions and see if he'll reciprocate. Throw a list of interests at the person you've just met and see where they intersect with hers. Then decide just as quickly whether he is capable of the depth you crave and worth the inevitable pain that will come when your proximity is suddenly ended. MKs and TCKs can cram a lifetime of friendship into just a few weeks because we're so focused on making the most of what we have while we still have it. It's a lightning-fast vetting process that serves two important purposes, eliminating the tedious, long-winded, getting-to-know-you stage and diving headfirst into the kind of meaningful connection that feeds our souls. Monoculturals function differently. They usually follow a steady descent through well-defined relationship levels, not because they're shallow, although we sometimes judge them to be in those initial phases, but because that slower progression is how their culture does it. Each level can take days or months, depending on personality, and there are five of those levels. The first is cliché, exchanging pleasantries, superficial topics. This is a level where how are you gets standard answers. Number two is reporting, conversing about sports, TV, factual information. Three is judgment, sharing some more personal things like opinions and beliefs. Four is emotional, 
revealing how we feel about things, telling stories that have impacted us. And finally, disclosure, allowing transparency and complete vulnerability based on trust. As MKs, we might look at the progression of monocultural relationships and roll our eyes. We dislike the expectation that we engage in small talk for weeks or months before progressing to a deeper level of communication. It might feel absurd or trivial to us. Adding to the frustration is this. Even when we do try to play along and engage in small talk, we often find that our version of it leaves others a bit uncomfortable because small talk in our circles actually includes discussing important-to-us things. This is where we can actually learn skills to make relationship building easier because we're not in our own world anymore. We're in somebody else's world. And respecting a culture means respecting its relational methods too. Back to the time-depth diagram, both relational methods, the one that dives deep fast and the one that more progressively goes deep, they both eventually lead to friendship. That's the bottom line. As we enter into a monocultural setting that has a well-established progression for making friends, it falls on us to be flexible. As my friend Libby Stevens likes to say, this culture was not designed for our comfort. It was designed for the comfort of those who belong in it. To be honest, there are some downsides to the TCK way of forming friendships. The first is that we can be far too quick to dismiss someone we've just met. In my own life, how many potential friendships have I walked away from because she didn't dive deep fast enough? Someone who might have become a kindred spirit if I'd just been patient enough to see where it led. We also risk creating misunderstandings if we enter a monocultural setting without respecting its relationship-building methods. We risk scaring people off with the intensity of our self-revelation. If they're not used to that kind of thing, it could freak them out enough to prevent further connection. We risk discovering that members of the opposite sex have read our vulnerability as a romantic overture. That can easily happen when we skip cultural levels of communication. We risk finding that we've attracted the needy, not the healthy. In monocultural settings, the needy are generally those who expose themselves too readily. They'll recognize a willing audience in us and latch on, and disentangling ourselves from them down the road might be a messy proposition. And finally, we risk sharing our deepest, darkest secrets with untrustworthy people to whom we haven't given the time to prove their character— It's important that we allow enough weeks or months to pass in order to know that person well enough to more safely reveal who we are. So my advice to MKs and TCKs who are frustrated or disappointed with monocultural friendships, it's this. First, believe that friendships with people who have never lived where we have or experienced what we have are valuable and worthy of our time and commitment. I can assure you that we third-cultured people have so much to learn from those who have never owned a passport, like belonging, loyalty, extended family dynamics, cultural identification, and long-lasting relationships. We are in no way superior because we happen to have grown up overseas. At that same conference for adult MKs that I mentioned earlier— I asked how many of them, after they'd given friendships the time they needed, had eventually developed meaningful relationships with monocultural peers. I'm pleased to report that almost every hand in the room went up. 
Relationships of all kinds are too precious for us to dismiss them just because they require some change in approach from us. Secondly, use your vast cross-cultural skills. If you were dropped into a primitive tribe in the Amazon jungle right now, you'd find a way to learn about the people, to understand and emulate their approach to friendship. You wouldn't demand that they become like you, but you would figure out how to connect with them in the way they naturally do. So often we demand the opposite from our passport culture. We want them to conform to us, and that helps no one. So be tolerant, be adaptive, be kind, be flexible and committed. It will pay off. Third, set healthy boundaries. Be aware that oversharing too soon can get you into trouble. So be honest and open, but respect this culture's need for gradual intimacy. You don't want to scare away a potential friend or send the wrong message that'll get you into hot water. And finally, commit to the long term. Though the small talk might feel tedious and the process too drawn out, you won't know who these new people are until you've given them the time to reveal themselves. Don't get frustrated. Stay intentional. You won't really know how they might enrich your life and you theirs until you've given those necessary relational stages the time to play out. With some of your new friends, you will eventually get to a place of vulnerable self-revelation. And I'd suggest that in a monocultural setting, it may actually be safer and feel more satisfactory if you get there slowly. We know how important friendship is to quality of life. We know how essential it is to a sense of self, of community and belonging. It's up to us to adapt to the culture around us. And I assure you that the payoff when you get there will be so worth it. So be patient. Adjust your expectations. Engage in the process and make the journey itself matter. Expect good things. And then... Celebrate the rare gift of friendship when you find it. Thank you so much, friends, for taking the time to listen today. My prayer in releasing this episode is that those who struggle with making meaningful relationships in a new context will understand better where the frustrations come from and maybe even feel equipped with a new perspective and new strategies as you move forward as a multicultural person in a monocultural setting. As always, make sure you check the episode notes for a link to the original article and to the time-depth graphic. You might also want to check out my website and my social media pages. They're all linked in the notes as well. Please don't hesitate to leave a comment here or through the contact options I've given you. As I wrap up this recording today, I want you to know that I celebrate the purple you are or the purple you love. Thank you for your time.